Hello, I'm Martijn Graat and this is Does Logistics Matter? A podcast on trends and innovations in supply chain and logistics. Answering yes to the question today is Henry Waterfield, founder and CEO of Spotship. In this episode, we talk about digitization in bulk shipping, how AI can help ship brokers choose the right ship for their cargo, how it can help bring down carbon emissions across the bulk shipping industry and what digital innovations are around the corner. Please enjoy my conversation with Henry Waterfield. Henry, welcome to the show. Hi, Martin. Lovely, lovely to see you again. Um, the first question I always ask my guests is, does logistics matter? Well, I'd say absolutely. And, and at the moment, it, it matters more than ever. If, if you look at the things happening around the world currently and the impact on, on people's everyday lives through the disruption of logistics and supply chains, you can see why logistics is so important. Um, just as an example, uh, the closing down and the reopening of Shanghai port and the impact that had on um, moving things yeah. around the world and, and the price spikes um, with, with regards to goods because of the increase in, in container rates. Uh, the amount of grain that's currently not coming out of the Ukraine uh, that, that should yeah. be, and the impact that's having on food prices already. Uh, look at fuel prices, uh, what fuel prices are doing at the moment. You know, try filling up a car at the pump and uh, <laughs> and, not, and not thinking twice about going cycling or, or going walking instead. Uh, <laughs> and and these, these are all because of uh, supply chains and, and logistics. If, if they run smoothly and they run efficiently, uh, people don't notice them. Um, because people are paying low prices at the pumps, they're paying low prices in the supermarkets, they're paying low prices online for goods that are being shipped shipped around the world. Um, when people notice logistics and, and notice uh, things are going on, it, it's generally because there are issues uh, and it's causing, uh, the, the real issue it causes is, is in their wallet and, uh, and in their pocket, um, because those impacts on supply chains impact prices and, and impact everyday people. Uh, so how did you uh, get into logistics? Uh, in a very roundabout way. So, so I did um, a master's in mechanical engineering at university. Uh, and then after that, I totally dropped academia and joined the British Army. Uh, and I spent about six years in the British Army in the Grenadier Guards. Uh, I served all over the world in Africa, the Middle East, uh, in the Far East, um, a little bit of time in South America. Really good time. Um, and because it was the Grenadiers, I also spent quite a lot of time in London wearing uh, furry hats and red coats and uh, and swatting around. So, so nice. it was the, yeah, ab- absolutely. So one of the last things I did in the army was the uh, Queen's Birthday Parade in 2016, uh, which was really good fun. Uh, so doing Troop in the Colour was a great, great send off my time in the army. Um, and, and the reason I got into logistics is, uh, as I was leaving the army, I was based in London. Um, I spent some time working at Braemar in an internship, uh, Braemar ACM shipbrokers in, in London uh, on the LNG desk. Uh, and then after that, spent uh, got a job in Amazon as a, uh, a manager in one of their fulfillment centers. Uh, so really, that was my that was my exposure to logistics. It was from the shipping side, how uh, commodities moved around the world. Uh, and then in the logistics um, uh, side, again, it was with Amazon and and that kind of e-commerce type type thing. Um, so that was my exposure to, to e-commerce and logistics. And then in 2019, um, I started uh, Spotship, which is 
um, a, a mixture of uh, my time at Braemar and my time at Amazon, which is how can I digitize and improve uh, and make the customer experience better for uh, shipbrokers. So, so the customer in this case being shipbrokers, um, given the amount of uh, data available online um, with regards to live ship locations, live ship capabilities, et cetera, how can I make that a super easy thing for uh, so, someone like a shipbroker to deal with? So rather than having to go through huge numbers of calculations every day, swim through you know swamps and swamps of data, can I just make clear, clinical, quick decisions um, where a computer is able to uh, filter out all of the unnecessary data for me and I end up swimming above all of it uh, and could just be presented with the data that needs uh, I, need, I need to see? Um, so that's kind of my route into logistics. So it started out man management in the British Army, um, uh, a small amount of time in a shipbrokers in London, um, some time doing um, logistics with Amazon uh, and then starting my own company in, in 2019, trying to do digitizing uh, for shipbrokers. So technology that enhances the shipbrokers day to day. Well, a, a great story. And uh, and I guess that if you are, are in the military, I mean, if, if there's, if there's, if there's one area where logistics is absolutely key, it's it's in the military. I mean, you don't want to be the the guy sitting sitting there without, you know, bullets or bandages or or something critical when uh, when when you're when you're well when you're when you're in an uh, in an actual uh, in an actual uh, uh, war scene. Uh, um, abs- absolutely, and as as an infantry, the the unfortunate um, co- the the unfortunate alphas of that is you end up in a situation where you're carrying everything you need which which is about 60 or 70 kilograms on your back at any one time wow yeah so you you don't run out of stuff but what what's incredible is that's that's you know that that only lasts you maybe 24 hours maybe even only a few hours depending on what happens um so yeah. so uh so they just pile it up and you're expected to carry it all uh but a- absolutely logistics is um was it napoleon that said an army marches on its stomach and you know, food, food, and water is uh, is only one part of the logistics battle in the in the military. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, you uh, you mentioned uh, well, you mentioned starting your own uh, company. You were talking about uh, large amounts of data and about computers, uh, which actually uh, brings us to uh, the the subject that you wanted to talk about for this episode, um, which is the 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 digitization uh, uh, in logistics, and then. Uh, uh, in the uh, uh, in the ocean freight or in the in, on the, the the shipping side of things, uh, uh, to be specific, um, looking looking at um, uh, looking at the way uh, ships move across the ocean and combining that with uh, with large amounts of data and digitization, what uh, trends and developments are you are you are you seeing? Absolutely, and it's a it's a space that's ripe for digitization. Um, so, and I'm talking specifically about bulk shipping at the moment. So containers have mm-hmm. seen a lot of startups, a lot of digitization, a lot of uh, very effective companies come into the space in the last 10 or so years. Um, and yeah. it's easy to see it's easy to see why containers and bulk shipping are are different challenges. Um, you know, when you look at the lean startup model, the container is the perfect um, vessel for a lean startup model. You buy one container or you hire, or you rent a container and then you sell the yep. space on that container. And that is you proving the business case for your model. That funds you to buy two containers, that funds you to buy four, that funds you to buy eight, and you build a business this way. 
with regards yep. to bulk shipping, it's a much harder challenge for for companies like Spotship to get into because of um, either if you're going to work on the lean startup model, you you buy or rent a ship, which is millions of dollars uh, to buy a ship, or or you know um, depending on what freight rates are doing, it's kind of ten fifteen thousand plus dollars a day. Um, or you have a cargo that you work and that could be 20, 30 million dollars worth of cargo. So these are all yeah. things that are just not in the space of a of, of a standard startup. They're, they're, they're astronomical sums of money. And with regards to the lean startup, it's all about testing a minimum product. If it fails, moving on to something else. If you if you put, uh, you know, if you buy a ship and then your hypothesis fails and then you need to buy another ship, you're, you're already costing investors uh, ten, tens of millions of dollars and they'll be very unhappy with what you've done to start yeah. with. Um, with with um with the amount of data that's currently available in shipping um the issue that a lot of people have is is almost kind of data overload so you think um with the introduction of uh, AIS to prevent collisions at sea that gives people a huge amount of insight into mm-hmm. where vessels currently are where they're going what they've done historically um and then you think about just in that space every single vessel has uh, a different capacity uh, a different um optimum engine operating speed um you know different different length different breadth different draft etc ports have all these uh varying restrictions um how 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 do you solve the problem of um of the uh, and i'm just talking about the the bulk industry here of the circa 50,000 ships uh, that are afloat at any one time um how, which which one is the optimum ship to work a work a specific cargo uh, and you know if you're working in um, let's say an example would be uh, short sea short sea coasters in in the dry sector, um, and let's say there's a there's a few thousand of those at sea at any one time. Uh, which one is the the optimum ship to to select for working a cargo of the owners that you know? Which one are which ones are are willing to work um, specific cargoes? For example, if you've got a grain clean ship, you don't want to be taking scrap metal. You know where where does that information come from? Um, but also which ships are available for for loading there might be a ship off off the uh, coast of the port you're you're interested in loading a cargo but do you know if that ship's actually available for hire or if it's currently booked by someone else so it's a constant challenge for the broker to understand what ships are available for them to work yeah. of the ships that are available to work which ones are suitable for the cargoes they want to move and which owners or operators of those ships are are willing to move that specific cargo uh, and all of that requires an enormous amount of data um very little of that data changes um if you think you know a, a vessel doesn't really change in in what it does the name might change it might change operator or owner but but a kind of a vessel yeah. stays as a fairly fairly static um uh, entity and what changes is where it will next be available and when. And the way this information is presented to the brokers is they get these things called position reports, which, uh, for example, let's let's call it um, uh, the ship, um, I don't know, Pink Floyd, uh, MV Pink Floyd, uh, just looking at your T-shirt. Uh, so the Pink, the Pink Floyd is currently off the coast of um, uh, off the coast of the UK in the North Sea. Um, uh, and and you may be looking for a cargo you're moving from Harwich in in the UK to uh, to Amsterdam, let's say. Yeah. Uh, but that but that ship is now actually going to Helsinki, and it will be opening in Helsinki on the eleventh um, of June. So you'd get a position report from the operator to say uh, this ship 
the MV Pink Floyd is opening in Helsinki on the 11th of June. So that now gives you the ability to say you have a ship available for hire in Helsinki on the 11th of June. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so if you happen to have any cargoes in the Baltic that are looking to go elsewhere, that's when you can then start matching those up. Um, so, so what we've done to try and solve the, solve the big data problem is we've created a, what's called an email parser. So it's a, a bit of um, AI technology that runs all of these position reports through from the owners um, and puts yeah. them into a database that's like a, it's like a, a, it's like a, a smart searchable database for them as our basic product. Um, and what that does is it absorbs all of this information, puts it in a database for them. Um, it's easy to deal with if you have five or six position reports a day, but some of the people that uh, are clients of ours have you know, thousands of, of position reports coming through on a, on a daily basis. So we're constantly updating in their, in their position reports what ships are available and where, what are the, um, uh, what are the characteristics of those ships uh, and, and, uh, and what are those ships willing to take. So when it comes to um, uh, a broker taking uh, taking an order from a charterer, getting a getting a cargo that they need to move, rather than going through their inbox or if they've if they've moved it all into Excel, they can boot up our, our system and say, I need to move, um, uh, let's say, uh, ten thousand ten thousand uh, tons of steel from uh, from south coast Finland to uh, north coast Spain. Um, anywhere between the 12th and the 15th of June. Um, yeah. And so they can boot up their system and say, I need a ship that can do this. And it will go, okay, you've got the MV Pink Floyd is in uh, is in Helsinki. It will be available from the 11th. It can hit the Lacan time. Um, and so that will be able to, to work it. Um, so it. So it just gives you the ability to make decisions more quickly without having to go through um, uh, go through thousands of emails or, or kind of spend, um, three or four hours a day uploading these positions into an Excel spreadsheet that you then have to go through. Because that's, that's how it's done, uh, in, in most cases. Um, so in, in lots of cases, yes. So, so my, my experience, uh, when I was broking and, and, um, one of our employees, um, Federica spent, uh, almost 10 years as a, as a tanker broker, um, it is, uh, spending a lot of time uploading this data to to Excel, um, and then actually finding that you're not utilizing the data that you put into Excel in, in mm-hmm. any sensible sensible way. So so that you're spending a lot of time generating position lists, uh, then doing very little with them. Um, so you're kind of one, you're wasting time that you could otherwise be doing uh, trying to trying to gain um, more business contacts, um, and then when you have the data there you're not searching it in an enhanced way. You're just kind of doing basic control F style functions to, to find uh, keyword matches. Um, yeah. So, so it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a lot of time spent for not necessarily a perfect solution. Um, so, so the idea is, is can you have a, a slightly more broad search? So if I was, um, you know, looking for a ship in Helsinki, I'd find the, I'd find the Pink Floyd. So if I typed in Helsinki on a search in Excel, I'd find, I'd find the MV Pink Floyd. If, uh, if I was looking for something that was in South Finland, um, I wouldn't find the MV Helsinki, uh, MV Pink Floyd because it's in Helsinki, not, not necessarily South Finland. Whereas um, we're able to do um, kind of more like a speed distance time calculation to say that this is proximate to where you're trying to search from um, and it's within certain parameters. So you can run the search to say, 
Um, I'm looking for something with a maximum of half a day ballasting, uh, so steaming empty, uh, which is, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it's it's the last thing you want to do is have ships traveling empty because it's a waste of waste of money for the charter. It's a waste of fuel. It's bad for the environment. It's, you know, it's all of these kind of things. So so a maximum of half a day ballasting and then something that can hit a lake and time between the 12th and the and the 16th. So something that is open before or during those times. Um, mm-hmm. So so it's so it's running it's running this this search um, in a in a slightly broader way. So you're capturing all the data that you already have, um, and the, what we've introduced uh, as well, which is something that um, some of the clients that have been working with our system who who don't necessarily have have quite as many contacts in the industry, so they're not receiving thousands of positions a day. They may be receiving a uh, hundred or so. It is mm-hmm. what happens if they don't have a result. So if they're looking to work a cargo in a specific area. Uh, what happens if they don't have a result? Uh, so we've got uh, a database of um, a relatively up-to-date database, but it's constantly changing. So it's very hard to stay on top of things. Who are the owners or the operators of of the ships in, in an area? So they can then just search for a, if they know they're moving uh, a certain amount of dry cargo, let's say, they can search for a specific size of ship within that sector and see geographically where all of them are in the world and then just hunt down the ones that are local to where they're looking. Um, and then reach out directly using the contacts uh, that we that we have on it in our system. The the ultimate idea of this is: can we reduce the amount of uh, ballasting or, uh, or or sailing empty that ships do when it comes to moving cargoes? Because cu- currently the the accepted rate for for bulk carriers uh, and tankers in the industry is they run at at about 80% efficiency. So they, so at any time, anyone, any one year, they'll spend about 20% of their time steaming empty. Um, and, and that's really, that's the best use cases. So, so, so the top of the tree are at 80% and, and a lot of them are, uh, are not hitting that. Um, and if you think about the amount of, uh, just in CO2 and in, environmental thoughts, that's about 110 tons of CO2 a day, uh, by yeah. all of those ships. So, so, so uh, if you can reduce the amount of steaming and increase the efficiency, uh, that, that takes a lot of CO2 out, out of the atmosphere. If you think about the number of ships you'd need to move the same quantity of goods around the sea, uh, it, it's vastly lower. Uh, so we had, a, we had a look at some of the numbers and, and we, we said if we can, if we can reduce that, um, that 20% number to 15%, uh, you're looking at about a 90 million tonne tons of CO2 annually saved, which is, it's an astronomically large figure. Um, so it's, you know, it's, it's an interesting challenge. And if, if it can be solved, it would be a really good one to solve. Yeah, definitely. I, I, it's, it's, a, uh, it's, a, it's a broad problem, right, in logistics. I mean, it's the, the, the sea is, is no different than the road. I mean, uh, the, the, the trucks are, I think they have a fill rate of 50 or 60%. So in that sense, 80% is is actually pretty good. Yeah, and this is this is the best case scenario. So if, if you imagine um, some of the large, some of the VLCT crude carriers, they're they're working at about fifty percent as well because they'll go from ah, yeah. one terminal to discharge, back to the terminal to load, back to the um, to discharge. So so it's so the the top end are, are working about eighty percent, and that's uh, you know thinking about, for example, some okay. of the smaller ships that are going around the Mediterranean and, and moving smaller cargoes. Um, so so it can vary it can vary enormously um but there are definite ways that it, it can be improved um it's just a case of um showing people the benefit of of that improvement um and and given the cost of fuel and uh, and and bunkering at the moment 
if, if there are ways of reducing the cost of the owner, which also reduces the cost to the charterer and therefore reduces the cost to the to the end consumer, um, that, that benefits absolutely everyone. Yeah. So, so uh, also in bulk shipping, there's a there's a huge increase uh, in in attention on uh, sustainable ways of uh, moving cargo from A to B. Um, are are uh, because usually, uh, and I'm uh, uh, you're the specialist. I uh, I don't know uh, much about uh, bulk shipping yet, but you're teaching me as we go. Um, so, trying to trying um, to teach. Uh, in uh, looking at trucks and and other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so looking, so looking at, uh, for example, uh, freight moving by truck or by parcels, um, uh, you need the consumer. You actually need a consumer or or a customer, if it's business to business, to be uh, willing to pay a premium because usually shipping something in whatever through whatever modality, if it's the the greener it gets, the more expensive it is, and I'm guessing that's the same in in bulk shipping. Um, yes, yeah, so, so I, I imagine the, the 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 part of shipping that's most similar to trucking would be containers, um, and and the yeah. metaphor the metaphor I use with containers is it's more like a, a train line rather than um, uh, rather than I, I use train line rather than taxi uh, rather than uh, truck, but but it could be anything else. And and bulk shipping I mm-hmm. I, I use the metaphor as as a, as a taxi. So a container ship will um, offload, let's say, twenty percent of its containers at one port, pick it pick up more go to the next port, go to the next port, go to the next port. And it's kind of a set route where it drops off and picks up at every single yeah. port. Whereas a, a bulk ship, um, most of them take take one cargo. A few of the uh, chemical carriers take part cargoes and, and you know just try and fill up, the, fill up all the tanks where they can. Um, but it's more like a taxi where you, you go and pick up one person, you drop them off somewhere and then you hunt around looking for the next person to go and pick up. So, so it's, yeah. it, it's kind of, it's, it's yes, it's the more expensive way of doing things. But if you think about shipping, it's all a, it's all, um, it, 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 it's all, it's because you're moving so much quantity of commodity. Um, it's economies of scale in in that regard because um, you know the amount of commodity you can fit on on one one of the large ships is you know thousands of times what you could fit into into a truck. Uh, just just because they're so much bigger and and it's cheaper to to move things whilst they're floating on the sea rather than rather than drive them around. So so looking at uh, uh, sustainability and and cutting down in carbon emissions, uh, the the largest gains for now in shipping uh, are in uh, optimizing uh, the fill rate. Um, yeah, yes and no. So, so people are looking at uh, different fuels. So people are looking at ammonia and whether hydrogen could be used as a fuel. Yeah, hydrogen. Yeah. Um, so, so those those are re- really exciting exciting things that people are looking into. My my thoughts on this are uh, that's that's really interesting. You know, are we going to have nuclear ships in the future? Are we going to have hydrogen powered ships? The 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 issue is that the, the lifespan of a ship is about 27 years. So if you think about the cost of building a ship, uh, those mm-hmm. ships stay in the industry for a very long time. So we, we see ships from the early 1980s that are still operating today, uh, and there are likely ones that are even older. Um, so, so, the, so the trickle through into the industry of ships that are burning the new fuels is going to be a slow process. Um, so mm-hmm. in the meantime, the, the, the question is, what can we do to make the ships that are going to be around for at least another 20 years more efficient 
And the way to make them more efficient is is to spend more of their time laden with cargo and less of their time steaming uh, with, with no cargo, so so ballasting. Um, and it's it's kind of you can either put all of your eggs into the basket of let's get clean fuels, but then what are we going to do with all the ships that, that burn uh, bunker fuel? Which you know, if you if you look at the they call it the NOx and the SOx, uh, the nitrous oxides, the sulfur oxides that that come that that get burnt in ships. Um, they are very, very polluting, polluting beasts. Um, you know, this isn't like the unleaded fuel you put in your car at the pump. This is all yeah. of the good stuff gets taken out of the crude oil and the, and the rest, the stuff that's left gets put into ships is, is kind of what people say. Um, yeah. so it's highly polluting fuel and, and you can't turn around to the industry that gets, that keeps the world moving and say, by the way, of the fifty thousand ships at sea at the moment, uh, forty-eight thousand don't you don't burn ammonia or hydrogen, so they're they're no longer compatible. You're not allowed to use them anymore. You you have to keep the keep the world moving. So so they are going to be around for a long time. Um, uh, and so it's how do we make them as efficient as possible, uh, whilst whilst introducing more efficient uh, and cleaner fueled ships uh, as we as we go forwards. Uh, thank you for uh, for explaining that, uh, uh, Henry. Uh, so looking at uh, digitization and uh, and sustainability. So you, you talked about uh, bringing down carbon emissions through uh, optimizing. Uh, are there other ways in which uh, digitization can can optimize bulk shipping? Uh, absolutely. So so sticking with CO two for the time being. We've, yeah. we've built a, a CO2 calculator. Um, we actually received some, some British government funding uh, to build it. So they had a, a clean maritime demonstration competition um, for, for green tech uh, and green, green innovation in shipping. Uh, so we were lucky nice. enough to re receive a small amount of funding for that. We built a CO2 calculator that uh, the aim of the calculator is to show you how much CO2 a, any ship will, will generate uh, on any given voyage. So if I have three separate ships that are able to work cargo, uh, currently our system can show you the economics of of each one of those ships. Uh, you know how much cargo each one will be able to load, what we'd expect the freight rates to be. What we're hoping to do with the CO2 calculator is to also give the environmental impact of them. So so how much CO2 are you going to be generating quantum total, and then also how much CO2 per ton of cargo moved are you going to be creating too? Uh, and this is a really interesting challenge when it comes to some of the uh, the larger commodity players who are talking about uh, net zero shipping and and minimizing their impact on mm -hmm. uh, on on the environment. Um, this gives people the ability to say, well, this is what we are creating with uh, with this specific shipping. Um, therefore, either they can offset that to zero or or offset it compared with what would be the most efficient way of moving it. Um, uh, and also it, optimizing what they're doing with regards to selecting specific ships. Um, what's been really useful for this project actually is um, we got most of our data working with the, the EU MRV database, but we we also got a lot of data from uh, owners and operators of ships giving us uh, individual voyage data. So not only could we understand um, how people uh, perform CO, uh, environmentally with their CO2 aggregated over a year, but also the impacts of, of smaller things uh, on specific voyages, such as, you know, what are the impacts of weather on, on fuel consumptions? What are the impacts of, of tides and, and steaming at different speeds, et cetera? That all comes out in the individual data. 
Um, so we're we're actually looking to work with more operators at the moment to get more voyage data to enhance our calculator. Because apart from anything else, not only is it good for uh, brokers and charterers because you can see CO2 um, for for mm-hmm. future future voyages, but then people who have the uh, who um, who are operating uh, ships can also use it for their own forecasting of of CO2 generation and also fuel consumption. So if you're looking at um, running uh, running routes, for example, cruise liners uh, would would it would be a good use case or container ships. You can get an accurate uh, an accurate model of how much fuel you'll be using. Um, how much CO2 you'll be generating, and then you can optimize where you'll be um, going to to bunker, etc. Oh, and it and it actually adds a completely different uh, reason for 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 choosing uh, a ship, because uh, three ships could be approximately this. I mean, this approximately the same cost, and then if one really excels in uh, in uh, in the in the sustainability of uh, of how they move that cargo, how should I say this? Uh, so if one ship has the, the lowest carbon emissions, uh, you can actually uh, choose that one. Absolutely. And, and when we were looking at the data in the EU MRB database, we thought we'd found the super ship, which was which was hyper efficient with the amounts of CO2 it had generated. Uh, but actually, it turned out that they'd they'd reported quite, quite poorly on their data. And, uh, and they're about 8,000 8, hours in a year. And, and apparently this ship had spent 40,000 hours at sea. So they had a slight issue with potentially putting too many zeros in. So we thought we'd found a super, <laughs> a, a super efficient ship, but unfortunately it was, uh, it was a reporting error. Um, but this exa- exactly so. This, this will be able to help people um, uh, uh, um, enhance, um, you know, enhance the visibility of, of the most efficient ships and, and really help push those in the industry. Yeah, I had no idea DeLorean also made ships. <laughs> you know, they did. <laughs> uh, okay. So, um, uh, 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 well, it's it's great news and it's uh, really nice that you guys got uh, got support from uh, from a government fund as well. Uh, and it's uh, it's it's great to uh, see uh, to to hear from a company that's uh, that's really trying to uh, to to bring down the carbon footprint. I guess I mean it's it's what we need. Uh, if if um, uh, if if we look if we would look to the to the future and then in terms of sustainability or or any other uh, aspect, what um, what next steps do you see for for uh, for bulk ship for bulk shipping and for for digitization? Absolutely. So from my perspective, um, that people talk about data being the future, and I think that's absolutely true in the in the case of shipping, as with almost every other industry, um, and shipping. Almost more so. Um, if you think about uh, the space that that Spotship operates in with with shipbroking, so when a cargo is, you know, how you make the decision to move a specific cargo around the world, that point in time is is a very exciting time to capture that data. And if you think about the impact of of that specific piece of knowledge on lots of other industries and lots of other um, kind of parallel industries to shipping, um, it, it's a really exciting place place to be so uh, we we call that the nexus of shipping um so so the way i see the future of shipping uh being really is a kind of um a, a race to see who can capture that point and, and gain most ground in that point if you think about the uh potential impacts of knowing how much of a commodity is being moved around the world at any one time if you work as a commodity trader if you have access to that information 
three or four weeks in advance of that that commodity actually landing in a port, you're you're going to you're going to be a more successful commodity trader than someone that doesn't. Um, if you work in the insurance industry and you're looking at yep. insuring cargoes on ships, if you know when someone has fixed a fixed a ship with a cargo, you then want that information to say, can I now insure that cargo and and, and kind of make make money make money that way. If you're looking at the green economy and you're offsetting carbon emissions generated by shipping, knowing who is moving a commodity around the world, what ship they're using, how much CO2 they're generating, that gives you the insight on who needs to be paying for the carbon offset credits, et cetera, on, on that thing. Um, if you are financing vessels, if you're looking at uh, building new vessels, knowing how vessels have performed historically gives you the ability to say how much that vessel should be valued at, how much it would be worth on the on the open market. Um, is it a time that you should be buying new, building new vessels? Is it not a time you should be building new vessels? Having access to all of that data allows you to really enhance the decisions about around so many markets that that historically have been in this space uh, but haven't been able to use this data. Now this data is available. It's going to be very exciting to see what the use cases for that data how it can help parallel industries to the logistics and the shipping industries, uh, and also how how it enhances the the shipping and the logistics industries too. Uh, uh, Henry, uh, uh, thank you very much for uh, for your vision of the future and for teaching me uh, a thing or two on uh, on uh, bulk shipping. Uh, thank you for being on the show. Thanks, Martin. It's been it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for listening to Does Logistics Matter. For more on trends and innovations in supply chain and logistics, visit our blog on logisticsmatter.com. If you want to be a guest on this podcast, please send an email to martijn at logisticsmatter.com. That's M-A-R-T-I-J-N at logisticsmatter.com. Or connect to me via LinkedIn and send me a message. This podcast was produced by Dimitri Vleugel. The music is based on a sample by Ruggerman and produced by Michael Spengler. This episode was supported by Spotship. Spotship is the shipbroker's digital assistant. Utilizing powerful AI and machine learning tools, they enable shipbrokers to leverage their data at incredible speed. For more information, visit spot-ship.com. That's spot-ship.com.